you, Lord. We bless you. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your tender mercies. Thank you for your love and kindness. We bless your name. You are a great God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for revealing the Son of God in and through us. We honor you. We thank you for your preeminence. You are most welcome in our midst and within us. We glorify your name forever and ever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name. You may take your seats. Thank you so much, MJ. Thank you so much for that powerful rendition. Thank you so much. That was very, very good. Very good. Just so you know, uh, Brother Derek has been taking pictures since this meeting began on Monday night. Uh, on lunch break, I had, a t I had a moment to peruse yesterday's pictures. They are very, very, very sharp and, and pleasant. So they're going to be made available to you absolutely free of charge. And um, so Pastor Tosin will be sending them all to you via email, uh, electronically. So um, it's yours. You can put them on, uh, you can put them on fake news, Fox News. <laughs> and all the other available news. Amen. Big D, thank you so much for your gift. Amen. I was telling him after I looked through the picture, I said, wow, these are much better than the previous ones you've taken. I mean, really, to me at least, you know, they look much, much sharper. Have anybody seen the pictures? Oh, you've not seen them? Oh, wow. Yes. Actually, he asked me a question. Why are they looking sharper? And I didn't have the time to actually tell him the answer. Um, just about six months ago, we're talking about downloads. In the old technology of shooting photographs, we used to use film. Everybody knows the Kodak and the regular film. And the standard was 60 of a second of 5.6. So where we transferred into digital age, I was still using the old technology of hey! Old software. <laughs> Just six months ago, God began to prompt me to look at things that whoever is shooting at the highest level, they're no different from you. Hmm. I thought they had the most expensive cameras. Ooh. But there was one thing that God revealed to me. And once I tried it, I said, oh, wow. If I was used, I didn't download properly. So even though the pictures were good, but they were not it. So until I downloaded for myself. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. <clears throat> so so now I, I, I don't want us to miss the takeaway. Don't miss this takeaway. His skill did not improve. His skill has not changed. It's the technology. The software is the same Derek yesterday, today, and forever. Skill did not change, he just grabbed hold of new technology, new so and that changed everything. 
So much so I could remind, I said to him, I said, man, this is much sharper. I mean, because I know his work. I love him, promote him, love everything he does to the glory of God. And I've been telling him, man, you are the best. You are the best. I've been telling him that in old technology. Now, you are really, really the best. <laughs> wow. Do you see what a download will do? Because what is true in its natural is also true in the spirit. Thanks for sharing that too. I will never forget that now. I'm looking for new updates. From new <laughs> wow, that is so powerful. Man. Okay, let's move on. Rapid fire mode. Page 12. Are we learning anything? What the Bible teaches about the fruit of the Spirit. Number one, the fruit of the Spirit is produced supernaturally, not naturally. Okay? It all grows out of the character of God. And I don't want you to hear that and feel intimidated. Remember, you are created or made in God's image and likeness. So, it goes down the list. Love, God. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Pardon my, we didn't edit these materials. So, you're going to find a few mistakes there. I just saw one now. Grace, another question. How come you didn't show me this? I'm just listening. <laughs> God is love, not God us love. That's Ebonics. <laughs> we wrote the manual in Ebonics. <laughs> okay. God is love. We all know that. First John 4, 16. Joy. The Bible says in Zephaniah 3, 17, God will rejoice over us. And on and on it goes. Every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is God. God already displays it. He does it. He knows it. He is it. Peace. is the God of peace. Patience. God is patient with me and you. I mean, 2 Peter 3, 9. Okay, so everything that's in the fruit of the spirit grows out of the character of God. Now, secondly, we are all equipped to produce this fruit in our own lives. Whether you, <clears throat> whether you believe it now or not, this is, a, this is the truth. We are equipped to produce each one of the aspects of this fruit in our lives. Amen. Flip the page, page 13. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is what happens. Because of our personality, some people tend to have an easier time with certain aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Many of us are like buyers or shoppers, consumers in the store. And we sometimes seem or have a tendency to concentrate only, or only on the fruit that interests us or comes easily to us. Okay? So you go into a grocery store. All the fruits are there. Mangoes, bananas, apples, raisins, on and on and on and on. And because you love bananas, you go straight for the banana and you ignore the rest and you leave the store. That's the way we are wired. That's the way our personality is. 
So there's a tendency for me and you to approach the fruit of the Spirit on the basis of those things that naturally gravitate in and through us. So you have a person like Professor Adeba Mawa who is very friendly, kind, and, and so his personality always displays that kindness and overflowing of uh, just being so effusively loving and caring. Okay, so if care is not taken, you just think that that's all it's supposed to be. And the other aspects of the long-suffering, the meekness, and the faithfulness, I'm not saying it does not have those, but I'm just saying it's easy for us to just, we have a, we have a okay, this is what, preference for a particular aspect of the fruit. So kindness may be easy for me. Okay? But long-suffering? I don't want to hear that. I want it all done last week. Don't talk to me about perseverance. Don't, talk, don't let's talk about patience. No, 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 no. I can be kind to you until and, until and my deadline is met. When you don't meet that deadline, we have a war. Kindness disappears. I don't know who is saying amen to. Maybe he's saying amen to himself. <laughs> so all of us have this capacity of having this narrow tunnel vision where we focus on one or two aspects and we totally ignore the rest and just say, I'm going to leave that to Daniel. I'll leave that to Felicia. I'll leave that to Melvin. But let me just focus on this one or two. That's, but that's not the way it is. It's one foot. It's singular. Okay? Now, if we think about fruit rather than fruits, we take away that liberty to be picky about the fruit we like and behavior we choose. Whether or not they come easily, all aspects of the fruit of the spirit are to be desired and cultivated. The last point here is that the fruit of the spirit is not a collection of unrelated traits that can be selected or neglected according to personal preference, but rather a, compo a composite description of what a Christian acts like. It is a direct result of being filled. Uh oh, another correction here. <laughs> oh boy. Grace, help me out by just noting this correction so we, so we can edit. It is a direct result of being filled with the Spirit. Yes, B E I N G. Yes. So, I guess the point we're trying to make is get it in your mind that this is not. A, uh, a, a, the fruit of the spirit is not fruits as in plural of various little little things but it's one and so because it's one you and I do not have the preference of choosing and picking any more than you can go to the mango tree and say okay the mango even though you're one seed one fruit I'm going to cut this top part off and discard the rest if you do that, you don't get the mango. You don't get the benefit of enjoying the mango. 
you've totally you've cannibalized the mango. The, are you following what I'm saying? So it's not plural as in fruit, it's singular as in fruit. And the reason that's important is because now it forces me to recognize that those areas that's not manifesting yet, I need to trust God to cultivate and develop them. Amen? Wow, it's very quiet. Okay. Number three point. The gifts of the Spirit show my ministry while the fruit of the Spirit shows my maturity. I've been preaching since 1932. Welcome. Welcome. You are great. But it does not show us how mature you are. It just shows you are, you are gifted. Yeah. Because the gifts of the Spirit, they're, they're, they're just that. They're gifts. The fruit of the Spirit you have to cultivate. And so, if we want to know how mature you are, we don't look at your gift, we look at your fruit. And this is important for us that are pastors. It's very important. We need both the gift and the fruit. Both. Both are essential. Both are important. That's why God gave both to the church. But when you're looking at how gifted a person is, you look at the gift. But if you want to see how matured, how grounded, who is going to be with you for the duration, for the long haul, at the end of the road, when things get tough, when things get hard, it's not the gift that keeps you, it's the fruit. Number four, developing the fruit of the spirit is the ultimate spiritual experience. Okay? If the fruit of the spirit is important in developing healthy relationships and is key to spiritual maturity and in fact the evidence of genuine Christianity, why is it more common? Why is it not more common? Oh my goodness. Miss Grace, help me out here. Why is it not more common in the lives of believers? Are you, are you following this question? Because this is reality. First of all, before we even consider why it's not common, let me ask us a question. Since we are mighty men and women of God. How many times in the last five years have we done a message on the fruit of the Spirit? Do you see what I'm saying? It's just not a popular message. You don't fill auditoriums by preaching, teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, we don't like to grow. We don't like responsibility. We like to take and receive. We have the same thing we blame the kids for, the younger people. The, um, oh, what's the word now? Uh, where, they just, the, where they just want things for themselves. What, what do we call that thing? That's, it's not, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's close. Huh? Entitlement. entitlement mentality. Entitlement. What am I entitled to? Now, of course, God graces us. But, but with the grace, we're supposed to develop. Peter says we should grow in grace. We shouldn't pack in grace, but we should grow in grace. So anything that challenges us beyond the status quo, it's not too, it's not exciting. It's not exciting. Pardon me? 
Like what? Your two dollars? <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. I owe Felicia two dollars. Who do I owe? Was it? Is it? Who do I owe two dollars? I know. Oh, somebody's been in my post. I see two dollars hanging here. I hope there are no mystery bandits in this room. <laughs> no, no, but so, since you, you asked, I take it as you understand the food that is, is for others, not for yourself. So you're asking for somebody else, right? Matthew 7 7. Oh, okay. You're also here? Who is that? What did you do? <laughs> That's what I'm asking. What is it? <laughs> Entitlement. Okay, let's just flow on here. We'll see. We'll see who else gets two dollars. But do you understand what I'm saying? If we don't preach it or teach it, there will be no faith to appropriate it. These things don't come by osmosis. Okay, so the church at some point embraced the poverty mentality. Until it became common and said, you are poor as a church mouse. Who in the world invented that phrase? <laughs> so when we talk about poverty, at least back there in Africa, they say, it's as poor as a church mouse. Because we have associated poverty with the church. For a long time. Until God raised up men and women, began to teach us, preach to us, encourage us that God's wants to prosper us. And gradually, we come in out of that poverty mindset. Where the time and the season when God is desiring to see manifestation of his food in us, because Jesus said, by this shall you know them. You know a tree by his, by his food. So, we have to teach it. We have to preach it. We have to encourage ourselves. We already have the equipping, the the empowerment. And more importantly, really, really the reason we got on this is because of how this manifestation of fruit affects all of our relationships. The reason a man cannot live with his wife or the wife cannot live with the husband is because of the fruit of the spirit. Thank you, but my professor here. Thank you very much. That's why you did the inaugural lecture and I didn't do one. You are the professor. <laughs> No, seriously, he corrected me for the lack of the fruit of the Spirit. That's, <laughs> that's why relationships are failing in the church at the same rate as the world. One out of every two Christian marriages fail. Same exact statistics as the world. Separate. Why? Because of the lack of the fruit of the Spirit. Same reason. Same reason. I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that's, so rather than, rather than spend all these hours in counseling after the marriage breaks, we can be proactive by cultivating what's already in us. And by so doing, we will not need to go through 
hours and hours and hours on end of counseling. Yes, sir. Thank you. I forgot your deliverance minister. <laughs> Thank you for speaking up for deliverance. <laughs> I mean, think about it. What are the issues that arise in our homes? All of them boils down to the fruit of the spirit. All of them. Every last one of them. So you leave, you leave your home, go to the work, go to your job, your business, your the same thing. You find hard people, difficult people, difficult to get along with. They are working with you every day. How do you cope with that? The fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the reason for which we are studying what we are saying. And now, it's not just a matter of husband and wives. <laughs> what happens in our homes affect our children. Yes. Particularly younger people now. It's not enough to just tell them what to do. Show me what to do. Because we are telling them what to do, what to do, what to do, but they are saying what you are doing. And they are screaming that I cannot hear what you're saying for seeing what you're doing. So God help us to be consciously aware of the empowerment that we have. We already have the ability built within us to manifest this thing. It's not something that we have to go and get. No, it's already in us. We just have to walk in it. Amen? Amen. So Jesus answers this question in his parable of the sower. I will not take the time to read all of it. From Mark chapter 4, verses 3 to 8. You know this passage very well. How the sower went to sow a seed. And the seed fell on four different kinds of soil. It's described for us very beautifully in the scripture. So the explanation of that is that there are four kinds of soil or four kinds of people upon which this seed of the word of God falls. Number one is what we call the pathway people. These are those individuals that are hardened by the influences that they allow to beat a path through their lives. Pathway people. So you see that among friends and associates that they hang around with? The literature we read and the TV programs we watch. The music we listen to constantly. The pursuit of pleasure, personal ambitions, and our private thought life. I just wonder sometimes. If there was a technology that God can employ to just display right now on the screen our thought life. The things you and I have thought about in the last, in the last week. Just press the button and the thing just scrolling on the screen. What will it be like? What will it be like? Now, the reason I'm, the reason I'm bringing this out is because these things affect how you, pro, how you can process what God is putting in you. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So if I spend my time just thinking over certain things, over and over and over, it almost becomes like a meditation. Okay, let, let me, again, let me put myself on the line. Let me use myself as an example. When I first became involved in the stock market, okay, before then, I had no interest in stocks and all of that stuff, so there was, there was no, no problem. But I noticed something, Brother Derek. The day I bought the first stock and put money in it, 
I'm looking behind my back now because I know some people behind me, I, I know what they're thinking already. <laughs> I noticed something happened to my behavior. Now, when I wake up in the morning, rather than grab my Bible and read the scriptures, all of a sudden, what I realized without even thinking about it, I want to see what how the stocks did yesterday. Hmm? Aha. Yeah, you're right. So initially, I'll, I'll check it just in the morning. Gradually, the habit grew. So midday, because now there's, the, the stock market opens about, about 9 o'clock. I've checked it in the morning. By noon, I want to see how those guys doing. Are they still buying or does this? <laughs> so you check in the morning. You check in the noon. Then at the close of the day, I want to know how, okay, how has the market performed today? So at 5 p.m., I check again. Wow. Now, before I bought stock, I, I, had no, I didn't spend my time doing that. So I began to realize there's a way in which the things you take in and the things you do affect how you spend your time. So the more stock you buy, the more time you spend researching and seeing it. Okay, did this or not? Okay, the year. Okay, the low for 52 weeks is this amount. The high is this amount. Ah, let me load it and put more money. Or let me sell quickly. It's unbelievable. I'm saying that to say, what's your thought pattern? Because the biggest warfare you fight is not the witches and wizards. No. It's between your two ears. Your mind. You watch a commercial advertisement on TV with all these good-looking women that just barely, barely wear strings. They call underwears. I don't know what they are. It's just strings. And the thing just flashes. You see the thing. And if you're not careful, hours, minutes, or weeks after you've seen the commercial, the picture is still locked in your head. And that old software, as we told yesterday, wants to play that thing back to you. Go and enjoy that view again. It's not hurtful. After all, you're not seeing her. It's all on television. You'll never see her again. Just watch it. Just enjoy it for five minutes. In fact, no, 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 not just enjoy it. Look at it so you can go and buy one like that for your wife. You see that trap? Look at it so you can go and buy it for your wife. Really? So you dwell on that. You sit on that. And that permits your, and, if you know, and the people that put it on TV, they are not crazy. They know. They know the psychology. That you watch it long enough, you do it. That's a supply. So I'm saying to us, if we don't want to be the pathway people, you've got to watch out for these things. What you listen to, what you watch, Define the kind of associates or friendships you keep and be careful. Now, here you see the pursuit of pleasure or personal ambitions. Those things are not evil. No, let me rephrase that. Pleasure or ambitions are not evil. They're not evil. 
The evil comes when the pleasure rules you. The evil comes when the pleasure rules you. Of course, it's wonderful to be able to take a vacation. To recreate. That God wants us to do that. The moment the pleasure or the recreation takes the place of God in your heart, you're finished. That's the difference. Do you understand that distinction? When the recreation or the pleasure takes priority in your decision-making process, other than God being the one that did priority, that's the distinction. When I have to put God on the sideline in pursuit of pleasure, I'm in trouble. I think Dr. Dollar mentioned something like that yesterday. Did he mention that yesterday? About getting a job? Or about the situation how when it rains, you have no problem going to work? But when it rains, you have a problem coming to church? Mammon speaking. In Africa, you guys don't know anything about that because it doesn't matter. Rain or shine, you guys go to church. We thank God for you guys. No, seriously, Af Africans, that hardship has been built in African church. <laughs> That's right. That song will not sell in America. <laughs> because when it rains here, it's time to turn over and get some more sleep. Come on, you deserve it. You've worked all, you've worked hard all week. And like Dr. Ernie says, in, on Sundays in the U.S., you get paid time and a half. You get compensated extra for working on Sundays. So more motivation, forget church. Is, it, will church pay your rent? That nice house you want to buy. Which church is buying your house? So this is the point. Pathway mentality, you have to be careful to al not allow certain things to enter into your gateway. Amen? Second group of people, rocky. Rocky people. They're so shallow, they never develop what it takes to serve God consistently. That's the issue. Consistency. Only a thin layer of soil is superficial experience. It's a life littered with stones, offenses, obstacles of disobedience. Ah, offenses. Offenses are really, you know, Pastor Della ministered a message a long time ago where he calls offend as being off end. God has a plan for all of us. Plans of peace and not of evil to bring us an expected end. Offenses that will take you off that end. Gotta be careful. Gotta be very careful. Streaks of gravel in the soil, a spirit of ingratitude and criticism. People that there's nothing you do, they find fault with it. Terribly ungrateful. Now, when we talk about ungrateful, be careful. Because I used to think, ah, some this this these guys are not great. In other words, the, the disposition to appreciate every little gift and blessing God gives you. Not only directly from God, but through other people. Be careful. Somebody gives five dollars, do you say thank you or you take that for granted? I watch our younger people this past season of graduation. So they graduate, you give them a card, you give them the exit. They just take it and just walk away. I said, man, what are we doing with this next generation? What are we doing? 
It's not because you as a person want them to say thank you. That's not the issue because that doesn't do anything. But it's the attitude because if they don't thank you, they will not thank God. Yeah. I think I've told this story once. When I first got hired at Eastern Airlines, years, years, years ago. Years ago. I walked to the employment office and a lady at the reception desk told me they were not hiring. In American terms, that means they're not employing people. We use the word hire, not employ. I said, she, said, she said they were not hiring. And as I was about to turn to leave the building, to leave the office, she said, well, if you want, you can fill the application now. And just leave. I said, okay, yeah, I'm already here. Why not? I sat down there, filled the application. By the time I brought it back to submit it, I said, you know what? I understand we can, you know, there are some openings. We give you a test. From not hiring to filling the application to give me a test, I went back in the room, I sat down, I was alone there, did a test, brought it back to her with the, on the spot. I was hired. Just like that. Ah. Wow, am I dreaming? With my African background, thank God for that in this instance. And the nurture of the home that I, was, I grew up in. To not say thank you in that home was a criminal offense for which your buttocks will, they will write it there criminal offense <laughs> with serious spanking you 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 would know you would know what when you can't sit down in class you'll say what happened to you i didn't say thank you yesterday <laughs> you are still hiring for being spanked i'm serious so I left that place and said, my God, these people just gave me this job. Now, for me, you need to understand, aviation, flying, being around airplanes was a passion. I just left school in Florida from an aviation, pro aviation program. So for me, being in, this environment, in that environment was, wow, how did this happen? I don't want to take you back to the story of how the whole thing actually happened. What even made me go there to begin with? That's another story. So I left that place. I want to bought two gifts. I, I mean, I'm remembering this like yesterday. One for the woman that gave me the form, and the other one for the guy that interviewed me. Parker pens. You know Parker pens? Yeah. And I will never forget this. I went back to the office and gave the gifts to these guys. That man, I, I don't know if he wanted to fall off his chair. Or if he became pregnant, I mean, I'm using that. In, I, I, I mean, what I said because his face, countenance, the whole, just are you? What's wrong with you? You bring me a gift, and then he went on to say this. He said, "Sir, do you know how many people I have employed in this office, and not one of them ever returned to even acknowledge that I exist." I'm telling you. I'm telling you what the man said to me. And you returned not to say thank but to bring something? The guy looked at me up and down. Wow. And I'm saying to myself, sir, this is the normal thing to do. It's normal. Jesus said, when a servant has been on the field and comes back and serves you food, do you thank him for serving you? 
a servant is supposed to serve. It's a natural. So for me, that's the mentality. Giving thanks is what I was made to do. That was as an unbeliever. And for the nine years that I worked at Eastern Airlines, this is the truth. There is nothing I wanted I didn't get. Nothing. Every position, every promotion, everything I wanted, I applied for it, the application goes up there, oh, Banga Kimbala, approved. Just like that. As an unbeliever. Folks, don't take anything for granted. Don't take anything for granted. <laughs> this is part of the quality of being God-like. For all of us. Don't become an ingrate. Don't do that. And it is in that attitude you wake up in the morning, Father, I thank you. An opportunity to bless you today, God. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you. I can still speak. I can lift my eyes. I can walk. In spite of what else is not right, I'm not focusing on what's not right. I can't do anything about those things. But what I can do something about, I lift my hands. I bless your name. You are a wonderful one. You are incredible. You are awesome. You are my provider. You are my protector. Come on. You lavish him with thanksgiving. Because it is only through thanksgiving that you show him that you appreciate what he's done and what he's doing. I tell people all the time, I said it this last Sunday, I thank you for the United States and I thank you for all of our, all of our military might. But do you believe for one second that our military is keeping us safe? Are you under that illusion? That because of Barack Obama, because of Donald Trump, that's why we are safe and protected? If you think so for one minute, you are smoking a pipe. And I don't know what's in that pipe. Because for all the soft targets all around this United States, every movie you go to, every grocery store, every mall, every soccer game, every basketball game, there are enough soft targets where we can be attacked a dozen times a day. You cannot hire enough policemen to protect us. No one can hire enough. I mean, how, where will you protect? By the time you protect Minnesota, Chicago is open. By the time you finish Chicago, Indiana is open. Orlando, Miami, Atlanta. Come on! Except the Lord keep the house. They but wicked in vain that keep it. And you're going to leave your house and not bless him and thank him for another day, for his protection, his hedge, his refuge. And because we take those small things for granted, the big things elude us. Be careful for nothing, he says. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you make your requests known unto God. We talked about Jonah earlier in the first session. Go and read his deliverance. His interception. Grace made provision for his rescue. The fish came and swallowed him. Grace. But he was still in the belly of the fish. Man was never made to live inside the fish. 
is rescued from being drowned but he was still in the belly of the fish grace made provision for his rescue by faith he began to pray in Jonah chapter 2 praying all in past tense you heard me you delivered me you blessed me by faith but down somewhere in that passage he said I offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving hallelujah grace makes the provision faith appropriates the provision but thanksgiving brings the manifestation So you have the pathway people, you have the rocky people, then you have the funny people. Now, let, let, let me say this to us. I mean, we are family, we are talking here. Let me go back to rocky for a minute. Easier for fences. One of Pastor Bakari's sons came to me a couple of years back. You know Pastor Tunde Bakari, most of you know him. And one of the sons just came to me and said, tell me, tell me, Pastor Bak, you are the longest how did they put it? You are the one who's walked with Pastor Bakari the longest. <laughs> you know, you, okay, you know the story. You, you, are the, you are the longest surviving friend of Pastor Bakari. Now, this was one of his sons. He said, tell me, how have you been able to do it? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Pastor B's friends, after a few years, they, they disappear. They, you know, they are, something happens and they disappear. Wow. Now, I knew I'm talking to a son, so I have to be very careful what I'm saying. So God's wisdom filled my mouth, and I, I, I opened my I said this. I said, it's not because there are not room or opportunity for offense or, 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 or conflict. I said, but this I settled, and this is true. That whatever happens, I'll forgive him before it happens. Did you hear that? Yes. Okay. That whatever the situation or the circumstance, whatever happens between us, I have made the quality decision to forgive him yes. before it ever happens. Okay, I'm trying to let that settle. Because some of you are still quizzical. In other words, listen, I realize the man is a human being, just as I am. None of us are perfect. So there will be plenty of room for him to do something I don't like, do something that's controversial, do something that puts me in a bad place. I realize that. I will do that to him as he will do to me. Having realized that, I had to make a decision. That in spite of whatever he does, I already forgive him before he ever does it. So when it happens, it's not, it's not a big deal. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. We are talking about relationships. This is the reason why love, what the fruit of the spirit is the key. I'll get to it in a minute to really show it to you. It's the key. And when I said that to that guy, I said, wow. And indeed, things have happened. It's happened. He's been upset with me. I've been upset with him. Many times. Hear this. The strength of any relationship you have will be determined by how you're willing to handle the conflict. To think you're going to have a relationship without conflict, you are dreaming. And in that dream, 
you are smoking something more than just a <laughs> that's ridiculous in fact no real relationship can be called a relationship without a conflict go and ask Jesus in the garden as he was praying the Bible said he was sweating like as, a, as blood in that agonizing moment he asked the question is it possible for this cup to pass over me Even him was pushed at that point where he verbalized and said it out. And he quickly answered the question. No, not that will. Not my will, rather, but that will be done. So every relationship will be tested. Every relationship. Don't even go there to think that you can just... If it's not happened, it's coming. It's coming. Amen? So we just need to know. And really, for me, the understanding of this whole realm has been very helpful for me. And I'm hoping that by the time you leave here tomorrow that you're going to gain that same help in Jesus' name. Because you will see how our various relationships is brought together in a cohesive way through love. Through love. Okay? So the thorny people are those of us that are crowded by distraction and overactive and overscheduled life. Did you hear that? Distractions. We say yes to everything. Yes to every event. Yes to every activity. Yes to every schedule. Overscheduled. We have enough things to do that will take 28 hours, but unfortunately we only have 24 hours. So we're distracted. The cares and anxieties of everyday life. The deceitfulness of riches or wealth. And the magnet of materialism. It's huge. Because everybody wants to drive a Bentley. Everybody wants to live in a 10-room mansion. Everybody wants to have 19 cars. On and on and on it goes. And so we keep on pursuing. Keep on driving. Keep on walking. Uh... I don't know who I was talking to. We, we met a guy in uh, Thailand in February of this year, a young businessman. That guy should be about 36 years old, maybe less, with four children. He's an independent entrepreneur. He only works so he can fund the kingdom of God. Now, I've read stories of that are about people like that, but I never met one until February this year. He works so he can fund the kingdom. Okay, let me say that again. He has a business whose sole purpose of existence is to fund the kingdom of God. And for four months out of the year, him, his wife, and four children are traveling from nation to nation to nation to nation to nation to encourage refreshed missionaries. So when he's going to work, do you think the work is a goal? No. His goal is God. I'm going to the Father so I can be empowered to refresh your people. That's all he does. I'm a young guy. I look, I say, wow, this is what you say, Yeah. And he told me this business, that business. In fact, his largest business is right here in Lawrenceville. Even the guy lives in, he lives in he, when he's in the U.S., he lives in Denver, Colorado. It's unbelievable. When, when he told me what he did, I didn't think anybody can make money doing it. 
But that's where the gut factor comes in. You didn't hear me. When he told me what he did for a living, I, in my natural mind, did not think anybody can make money doing that. But I now quickly added that that's where the gut factor comes in. Because whatever you're doing with God's cooperation, okay, let me, let me tell you what one of the things he does. <laughs> he said he rents home appliances to apartment complexes. Wash and dryer. Washer that you use to wash clothes and dryer you use to dry clothes. So in my head, I'm thinking, how many washer and dryers are you going to supply in Georgia? I mean, those things, they, okay, the one in my house right now has been there at least for three years. They don't break. Not every. <laughs> so I'm thinking in my mind, you do that, you make money doing that? No, I didn't ask him that, but I'm just thinking that in my, in my mind. But the point I'm making is this. This guy has totally, he understands that his gift, his talent, and everything he does belongs to God. And so God empowers him to make money, and he redirects that money back to the kingdom of God. And, and interestingly, to show you how these guys are passing this mindset to the next generation, he travels with all his four kids. All four of them. So guess what's going to happen? When those guys become adults, what do you think was going to happen? Ah, because it's not just telling them support God, support missions. They are doing it together. It's not telling them, it's showing them. Four kids, young. I mean, the guy is only about 35, 36, so they are young. Pulls them out of school. Travels the world. I asked them, I said, your ticket, tell me, how do you ticket them? He said, it's just a, a, a bunch of one-way tickets. One way ticket from Thailand to Singapore to Indonesia, Malaysia, Nepal, back and back and Four months. Many of us cannot go for four days. Hey, my bishop, thank you. He said, but we can go for vacation for 10 days, but we can't go for God for four days. <laughs> no, but seriously, vacation is not bad. You just have to have the right motive. But you see what I'm saying to us? We need. To really, man, you guys, am I, am I killing you? Because you guys, the way you guys are looking at me, you guys are looking at me, you give me, you, like, you give me the eye, man. Your, your, your faces are talking to me. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. So, 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 am I going to be surprised that this guy continues to, be, to prosper? No. Because it's in God's vested interest. That the guys continue to prosper so they can continue to fund the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's, it's, I, mean, I mean, just looking at the man, I, I mean, as I'm talking now, with a serious servant's attitude. Oh my God, this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's terrible. But if you look at the way he's dressed, you will not know that he has a penny in his pocket. That's the difference between us and them. Us, we wear everything we have on our body. We wear our entire bank account. You see the way we are dressed? $10,000 standing. Straight away. I know some of Sami Badaki's friends. Their jackets, it must be, it must be auto, autographed. They only made 30 of them and yours is number 23. That's Sami's friend. Are you talking about Badaki? Is that correct? Am I right? 
Sammy has never taken me to the store where they sell those kind of jackets. But <laughs> yeah, but those jackets, man, I'm telling you, he will support many missionaries. $2,500 and above. Now, it's not wrong. Please, we are laughing. We're just, I'm not saying that if you are blessed and you have the means to do that, go for it. I'm not, I'm not down at all. I'm just saying make sure your priorities are correct. That's the essence of what I'm saying with that. Because I don't want you to live here thinking that I'm saying that from now on you should go to only to Goodwill stores. No, that's not what I'm saying. Please. I mean, if you like goodwill, that's fine. That's, I mean, that, but I'm just saying, don't, don't take that as gospel, please. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know, because you, you, the belt you're wearing can support a missionary for, for a year. That belt you're wearing. Stand up, let us see your belt. <laughs> Is it a shoe? Let me leave him alone so, so, so he can come back next year. <laughs> Number four, the productive people. These are good ground to grow the fruit of the spirit. Luke 8.15, but, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with what? Perseverance. So if you and I are to manifest and be food bearers, we are honest people, we are patient people. Very, very important. Patience. 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 Key element. If you plant wheat or corn or yam or mango, you cannot pray to hasten the process of development. Amen? So the key element here is we recognize we have a need We've been empowered to meet that need and we allow God to supernaturally grow the need or to meet that need in our life, but we recognize there's time element. There's time element. That concludes lesson number one. Man. God help us. Now we're... Do we take a 10 minute break, ma'am, and come back at 4.15? Okay, 10 minute break. 10 minute break. 4.15. Thank you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you read it in NLT, which is the passage right below that, you notice the semicolon is right after the fruit, this kind of fruit in our lives. And so, it allows us to see, at least from that translation, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all one. There is no law against these things. So the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 16, that God is love. So it is no surprise that the first aspect of the fruit that he wants to grow in us is love. Now, love is at the top of the list because it is the foundation for the rest of all the fruit that God wants to grow in us. 
And this lesson that we're on right now is going to really, really help us to understand the interconnectedness of all these various aspects. Now, a comparison of the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians 13, what we commonly call, commonly call the love chapter, with Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 23, reveal that both are least of the spirit, of the fruit of the spirit, arranged in different order. In other words, when you go to 1 Corinthians 13, you're going to see the exact same listing, but in different order. And so this column here, this table in your notebooks, help us to show it. On the left, you see the Galatians 5 passage. And on the right, you see the 1 Corinthians 13 passage. So, love in 1 Corinthians 13 does not seek our own. It's not selfish or self-centered. That corners love right there. Remember we said that the fruit is not, it does not go for itself. So, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse, in that uh, verse 7, Love does not seek our own, it's not selfish, or it's not self-centered. Joy, love does not rejoice in iniquity, and rather it rejoices in truth. In other words, when a friend, a spouse, someone you know or hear about gets in trouble, when the fruit of the Spirit is working in your life, you don't rejoice about it. It doesn't matter how much you hate them, how much difference you have, you do not rejoice when somebody's in trouble. That's why some of these prayers we pray can be very troubling. Now, I don't know how true this is, but I recently got a posting on WhatsApp about a church that was praying to kill their enemies. And in that posting, the church, the pastor told the church members to bring a machete to, to church. You know what a machete is? And all of them brought machetes, including the pastor, because they're going to cut off the heads of the enemy. Now, I don't know where that happened. Did anybody see that posting? Where was that? Is that true? Pardon me? Yeah, the pastor had the largest cut machete. And from that picture, you, you have to know that it was a very progressive-looking church. They looked well-dressed, well-appointed. The sanctuary looked very beautiful. So you just wonder sometimes, where are people's brains when they're doing some of these crazy things? Oh, that's prophetic action? Oh. <laughs> now, some of these churches are doing some crazy things. I saw another one where a pastor was kissing a woman to heal her. Kissing. By kissing her, it transferred the anointing for, for her healing. <laughs> ah! God help us. Peace! By me? What's the comment, sir? Ah! Aha! Did you understand this question? It should grab the man and The point I'm making is why is this kind of kissing selective just on female? This anointing to heal that's 
imparted through kissing. Will this pastor also kiss a man to heal him? And in particular, every man is a madman that needs deliverance. <laughs> Peace. Love is not easily provoked, but it's serene and stable. Patience or long suffering. Love suffers long, perseveres, is patient. Kindness. Love is merciful, thoughtful, and concerned. It envies not. Goodness. Love is great, gracious, and generous. It is kind and good. Faithfulness. Love thinks no evil, but has faith in God and others. Gentleness. Love is humble and gentle, does not vaunt itself. Self-control. Love is disciplined and controlled and does not behave unbecomingly. So it's very important that we see that everything we are learning about the fruit of the Spirit is not only a character of a uh, trait of God, but 1 Corinthians 13 also speak of the same thing, although arranged in a different order. Page 17, misconceptions about love. And this is very big. The world defines love as a feeling. That is the Hollywood definition. We use the same English word love so freely until the meaning eludes us. We use the word love for your wife, your dog, your car, your pizza. I say I love my dog and then I say I love my wife. What's the difference? So this can be very difficult for someone that's learning the English language. They will throw these words around. Okay? Fortunately, the Bible was not written originally in English. It does not suffer the limitations of the English language. And this is important now, where we're about to get to now. There are four Greek works, there are four Greek words that describe love with very distinct meanings. Eros talks about sexual or sensual love. Storge talks about family or natural love. Philly talks about friendship or companionship love. Agape talks about God's love. We need all of them in measures in our life. Eros. The New Testament doesn't use the word eros from which we get the word erotic. However, the Bible teaches that sexual love is a blessing from God as long as it is experienced within the boundaries of marriage. Hebrews 13.4 Outside of this boundary, it does incredible harm. But as good as arrows can be, it is still quite limited. And you're going to say that in a minute. I mean, really, all you have to do is pick up these magazines in the grocery store, uh, National Enquirer, Daily Star, whatever they call themselves, and watch TMZ and all the news coming out of California. These superstars, they spend $5 million on a ring one week, and in three weeks later, they are divorced. It's over. Eros by itself does not last. Storge. The Bible uses the word twice in the negative sense to describe evil people who are without natural affections. Storge is the love that exists in a family between parents and children and among siblings. Filler. We derive the term philanthropy from this Greek word. It designates a friendship kind of love. In John 15 verse 19, 
The New Testament translates it several times as brotherly love. This is the kind of love that develops between us and those we have a natural affinity for. Also, like Eros or Storge, filial love is also limited over the long haul. This is the thing that all of us must understand. You cannot build your family alone on Eros. You cannot build it alone on the Storge. All of us. We cannot build our relationships, our families, just on those three. It's, it's not going to work. This is the problem with most relationships. They are built on limited love of arrows, stog, and feeling. Watch this. So when your spouse gets older or gains weight, Eros love fades. That's the limitation. That's why Hollywood is going crazy with all the face, uh, uh, they're doing all the surgery. What do they call them? Face lifting, tummy talking, whatever it is. Botox. I mean, they, can't, they, they spend so much money doing these things because they, they want to keep it up. And unfortunately, you can keep it up. You're going to get older. There'll be wrinkles. There'll be handles. There'll be middle kingdoms. Love handles. All of them will happen. So if you only build your relationship on arrows, you're finished. He's not going to be the Prince Charming you married 30 years ago. I'm sorry. Back then he could love you all night. Now he can only love you 10 minutes. It's over, Jack. I'm done. <laughs> He's starting to go to bed, snoring. <laughs> That's reality. So if you're only built on arrows, you're going to be in trouble. When there are serious conflicts, with the teenagers in your home or whatever else, stoggy love falters. God forbid, if your child went and smoked weed or they called you from school and said, X, Y, Z happened. If all you have is stoggy, which is the natural love or affection that should be within families, when that news hits you, love gets out of the window. How dare you? Do you know who you are? You know who's the, you disgraced me in school? You did this? How dare you do that? Amen. So these things, has, they have limitations. When your friends are constantly insensitive to your deepest needs, feeling love is fickle. It won't carry you. Listen, we are broken people living in an imperfect world Therefore, our friends, and even we, we offend one another. So if all you have is friendship and what goes on, the kind of love that is among friends, when, that, when, when, when you are disappointed, what do you do? That relationship is out of the window. But God says that love is not a matter of feelings, it's a matter of choice. This is the key with agape. Agape does not deal with feelings, it deals with choice. Please, 
let that register with you. Again, that word love, is, we throw it around so much, we, we almost lose the meaning of it. And I'm saying to us, from God's perspective, it's not a matter of how we feel, it's a matter of the choice he makes. First, look at his relationship with us. If it's a matter of feelings, God will have packed his bag and leave a long time ago. We have left us. If it's feelings, how many times do you hurt God? Before we ever got born again. And since we've been born again, have we disappointed him? Yes. Yes. But God's love towards us is not limited to his feelings. It's limited to his choice. That's what binds him. That is big. And God help me and you to understand the issue of commitment and choice. That's why at the marriage altar, when we are given the vows, we ask that question. Do you take this man or do you take this woman to be your spouse, your husband, your wife? In better, for better or for worse. In health and sickness. And all of that stuff. And we say, I do, I do. But for some strange reason, when we leave the altar, we forget. We leave the vow at the altar and we go out to live the life and say, you lost your job? Jack, I'm gone. <laughs> your money is no good. Your love is no good. <laughs> I'm out of here. No work, no love. No paycheck, forget love. Love is better with money. <laughs> we totally forget the commitment. Because that commitment to us was just no commitment. We just spoke words that we had no intention of backing up. So agape is the kind of love that the Bible refers to the most. It has nothing to do with romance or natural affection or sentiment. None of that. It is not dependent on physical attractiveness or personality. Now that is huge. Unfortunately, many of us build our families on attractiveness, the physical attraction, personalities, and so forth and so on. I mean, I'm just truly here. I got married 38 years ago. I was not thinking about commitment or choice at that time. No. I was driven, motivated by feelings. Wow, you look good. I want to keep you this shape, this way, the rest of your life. Let's go and go and get married now. And let's live happily thereafter from now, this moment. Choice, commitment, that was the last thing on my mind. I was 100% head to toe arrows. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm the only one that was like that. <laughs> yeah. Ah, well, I mean, yeah. ah, good. Because the way you guys are looking at me, like, a, like, like, a, like I fell off of a tree. Listen, I was 100% totally, completely bona fide unbeliever. What do you expect? I was an unbeliever. Dogs bark. Fish swim. 
as an unbeliever, unbeliever what do you, what, where will I get agape? I have not received God's agape, so I cannot give it. And so the issue of agape for me had to be learned. And I, I think I've told the story. I don't know if I've told it in this setting. It's the truth. When I married my wife, I was nothing about no choice or commitment. No. No, not at all. Shape, attractiveness, we like doing things in common. Man, come on, let's go. Let's go, let's go the distance. It's me and you for life. Years down the road, I was thinking, really? Did I make this? Was I, was I smoking a pipe? And for me, the, the, the eye opener was the day the thief came to my house. Up to that day, I was totally 100% arrows. Baby, what can, you, what can you give me, baby? Come on, girl. Let's turn it on. And as long as you turn it on, I was fine. Things came to the house. In fact, is here. Did you know I was going to say this when you came? <laughs> because he was in the house. The thief broke in through the basement door, went straight to the place where my brother was sleeping, and they had a battle. They tried to open the door. Kone was closing it. The thief was opening it. <laughs> so I guess, the, I guess the thief said, this guy is fighting. This crazy guy. Let me leave this one alone. Let me go upstairs to those in the main house. And he left him. Came upstairs. Incidentally, we were hosting this Nigerian pastor from, East, from Midwest, Benin State. Dr. John Wabugu was lying down on the sofa in my den. And he laid his wallet next to him while he was sleeping. The story has been told. Actually, the guy is an Igbo man, but was pastoring in Benin. The story has been told that if you want to know if a Igbo man is dead, touch his wallet. <laughs> Igbos don't play with a wallet, pastor. If an Igbo man dies, you need to touch his pocket and make sure that if, if, if he doesn't wake up on his money, then you know he's really dead. <laughs> so the thief went to grab his wallet. And the man woke up. <laughs> so, so you can imagine, I'm not sure if he was dreaming or really sleeping. Because <laughs> he woke up. And he ran straight to my bedroom. Shouting, thief, 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 thief. All I could hear in the bed was thief. This man just can't turn around. Thief, thief. What? Thief? I jumped from the bed and went straight to my closet, to my wardrobe. I totally forgot my arrows on the bed laying there with me. <laughs> my wife was on her own because arrows is only self centered. Arrow's kind of love only focuses on what I can get, not what you can give. And even in act of intercourse, you're not thinking about the other person. They are just an object of your satisfaction. You satisfy me and when I'm done, you mind your own business and I mind mine. So I ran to the wardrobe. Totally exposed my wife. From the wardrobe, I was hearing her say, where is the thief? I was... Oh, <laughs> I have taken cover. She's the one that's looking for the thief. I was gone. True story. True story. About a week later, I open my Bible. I'm reading. 
I got it. A passage where the Bible says, Husbands, love your wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And like most Christians say, Hallelujah, praise God. The Holy Ghost pushed a pause button and asked me the question, Bank, do you love your wife? I said, Come on. What are you talking about? I pay the rent. I put food on the table. I provide a car to ride. What more can love show than that? Now, by this time, I was, I was already born again. I'm the chief deacon in the church. <laughs> and uh, I wear my deaconship with pride. <laughs> Head deacon. But did not have an idea what love meant. So the Holy Spirit said to him, no, you don't love your wife. And took me back to that story. Do you remember two weeks ago when the thief broke in your house? I said, yes. Did you protect your wife? No, I did not. How to protect myself? Say, well, see, that's not the love. Folks, I can laugh now, but back then, it was a sobering thought. Because I did not read this in the book, it happened to me. I exposed my wife and took cover for myself. And the Holy Spirit said, that is not love. Because Jesus did not protect himself. As the groom, he gave himself for our own protection. At that point, I said, guilty as charged. But help me, O oh God. True story. So I began to pray deliberately, intentionally, for God to show me and teach me how to manifest this kind of love in me because I had no idea. And let me just say this to all of us. Please, let me say this to all of us. I did not grow up in an environment where I saw agape. Never. I never saw it. Never. The only kind of so-called love I saw was a self-centered, selfish, me-only love. Hello? It is so bad in some of our societies that even when it comes to birthdays for our children, it's not really their birthdays, it's ours. We just use them as, as, as a means to throw a party. So we say I'm throwing a party for my 16-year-old girl. Really? You throw the party, you pay for it, you dress her up, give her a cake, but the party's really about you. Hello, am I talking? So your child is getting married. You use her marriage or his marriage as a disguise to show the world who you are. Ah, Pastor Akemola's children are getting married. Hallelujah, the chief is getting married. So, so, so the, the day is an occasion to impress your friends, not her friends. It's not about the individual you're saying on the card. No, it's, it's a lie. We live a lie, deception, illusion, hypocrisy, big time. Because what we've learned from way back is the issue of self-centeredness in, in everything we do.
Because in the wedding, the child don't pick the date you do. Your child wants to get married. Do you give him a choice? Do they, do they have a say so? When he or she says, I want to get married in March, I say, no, 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 you need to do it in July. It's your wedding then, Papa. Go marry yourself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do we get their input? What would you want to say upon your birthday? What do you want to accomplish? How, how, do we, how can I, as your father or your mother, empower and help you to make it a day you remember? Does that ever occur to us? No. We plan the whole thing as well. Yeah. Do you like this? Don't say no, because this is what you get. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. We have to reprogram ourselves. We, listen, by default in the old software, we are too self-centered. And what I'm saying about my own transformation took a long time, and I'm still being transformed. But at least I came to that realization. The bank, you are God to yourself. And I knew I didn't, I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be like that. I mean, you know how so bad it is for the Holy Spirit? I didn't hear it in the message. If I heard it in the message, I'd get mad with the pastor. I said, the pastor does not like me. He, he picked me out to, to talk about me. No, it was not the message. I was in my house. Reading my Bible, and the Holy Spirit stopped me. Do you love your wife? And we had to have that inner conversation. I said, whoa, this is terrible. This is nasty. And unfortunately, I couldn't blame anyone but me. My friend didn't correct me. My pastor didn't correct me. Nobody correct me. But God, the Holy Spirit. Remember what we said about bearing fruit? There's a chastening that comes. A correction that comes as a part of bearing fruit. But I'm grateful for God that God did not leave me back there. That he brought a correction to my life and began to help me to appreciate my wife and others around me so I can be a better person. It's a work in progress. But it's a progress that's already started. Huge. Are you guys hearing, getting anything? Is it making sense? So arrows alone will not keep it. Stargate is not enough. Failure will fail. You have to make the progress from emotions and sentiments and feelings to the place of choice and commitment. When you get to the place of choice and commitment, unlike the world, the D word is totally out of your vocabulary. D, divorce. Why is it D word out of your vocabulary? Is it because you don't have conflicts? No, you have conflicts. Is it because there are no uh, differences? There are differences. But the D word is totally, completely eliminated because you've made a, word, a choice and a commitment. You've made a decision. There's no going back. This is my choice. And for us as pastors and men and women of God, we need to help young people aspiring to get married to understand this element. Because this issue of falling out of love was never in God's equation. Because you make a choice and a decision and a commitment to be in love regardless of your feeling. And let me tell you, not, not only is the Bible true, 
But in my own experience, the story I just told you, the moment I recognized that I was lacking in that area, and I agreed with God that agape needs to show up in my life, and I make that decision that I want to grow in that area, the feelings followed the decision. Let us say to them. Did you hear what I just said? For, for most times, what, what we look for is we are looking to have a feeling and then we decide. Wrong thing. Very wrong thing. You make the decision and the feelings will follow. That's what happens. And you need to understand this, especially when you're having conflicts or differences. Don't allow the conflict or the difference or the feelings that those things invoke in your life to cloud your judgment that you've already made the decision and the choice. Do you understand what I just said? Your choice and your decision should lead you even in times of conflict or times of differences. And you'll be surprised when you allow it to take that sequence what the consequences or the results or the outcome will be. All this. So God, for God, he has already made a choice. For God loves, so loved the world. That's not going to change. It's a choice he made. It's a decision he made. It's a done deal. Nothing you do or do not do, we change that. Nothing's going to change that. It's a choice. Now, let me tell you how this interplays within the family setting. So we already talked about heroes. You grow older, whether you're the man or the woman, that does, I mean, some, you, you're going to change. If you're alive, change is inevitable. We all do change. So in the family, we have children. The children love one another. Stoge. Agape. That choice, that decision, is the one that limits a father from committing incest with his daughter. And that agape is what limits Stoge, brother, from sleeping with sister. Because it's a commitment. It's a choice. This is a no-go area. Do you see what I'm saying to you? Where agape is lacking, we cross the lines. The reason a man or a woman do not have an affair is not because the opportunity is not there. You go to work. You meet good people. They are there. The opportunities will be there. A bunch of it. But how do you protect yourself from crossing the line? A decision. A choice. A choice and a decision. A commitment. Oh, I cannot do this because I've made a commitment to this person. Therefore, this is a no-go. It's not, it's not that you are not attracted. Or you are, no, that's not the issue. That's not the issue. We're all human beings. But you don't cross the line. Why? Because of the choice and the decision that I made. Therefore, this is not even a matter of consideration. That's what happens. This is where agape intercepts, or, or what shall I say, what's the word? This is where it takes me and you beyond arrows, beyond storge, and beyond filio. When I said to you previously that I've already forgiven Pastor Bakari in advance, and I'm sure he's probably done the same with me. It's a decision I made before anything happened. So when and if something happens, the decision was already made. There is, there's nothing to think about. It's already resolved. 
a choice. It's a decision. And do you know what's so funny? The, the amazing thing about, about our world, they understand some of these principles to a degree. Years ago, I think in the 80s, Johnson & Johnson, are they, are they the one that make Tylenol? Good. They ran into a problem where Tylenol was contaminated in Chicago. They found a couple of bottles that were, that were compromised. And I think maybe two people died. Do you know that when that incident happened, they didn't have to call a boardman and scratch their head and say, oh, what are we going to do? No. Because they've already made a, a company policy ahead of time that if we ever find ourselves in this position, we pull all the drugs from all the stores. Whether it happened in one store or 19 stores, it doesn't matter. If it happens once, once it's bad enough. Even though it will cost them millions of dollars to do so. So when the incident happened, they didn't have to think twice. They pulled all Tylenol drugs all over the United States from the shelf. Instantly. Why? They acted on the commitment that was made before the incident happened. That's my problem and your problem. We are waiting to make a decision after the incident. When we should have made the decision before the incident. Thank you, sir. We are in crisis management mode. Does that make any sense? Yes. I heard you. I heard you. I'm just thinking. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't miss the question. So the one me hiding in the closet was not good enough. <laughs> Do you understand the question? She wants me to give an example of a day-to-day -day family thing. Okay, let's think of one. Am, am I the only example here? Can, is anybody else? Are you guys in families? Does anybody else want to be a guinea pig? Or you all too hunky dory? Everything is wonderful, 100% every day, all of the time. Good. It's okay, she, give, give her the mic, please. Thank you. Actually, two that I have. Okay. Um, one was with my son, Toyosi. Prior to embracing the grace message, there was an incident that happened. I told him, when you go out, be back home by nine on that day. And um, I think he made the choice not to come back home at nine. About 11 something was knocking on the door. So I shut all the doors, locked it, and um, told him to stay outside that that's a choice that is made to stay outside. Now, I wish I'd left it there. But the minute he walked into the house, my hands were all over him. I was that mad, just all over him. And he didn't get the message because he repeated it over and over again. And it was something that was like an issue going back and forth. Then on one occasion, after I'd gotten into the message, he said he wanted to go out. So I told him, okay, be back home by 11, um, wherever you're going. And then he didn't tell us he was actually going outside to downtown. Um, it was just around here, we thought. So he came back home, walked in, and everything within me 
Now, not only that, he had an accident with a vehicle. So everything within me just wanted to tear this boy apart, everything. So I said to myself, calm down. Um, what would be the right thing to do to engage him? So I sat him down and myself and the dad, and I started talking to him about why did he make that decision to do what he did, blah, blah, blah. And even while he was saying that, the one thing I said to him was this. I said, um, Toyosi, at the end of the day, what this is showing is disrespect to both your dad and I. If we made an agreement to do something, you were going to downtown, you didn't tell us. Anyway, we went through all of that story. About a week later, he decided he wanted to come see us. Um, he wanted to engage us in a conversation. And he said that, did I know that the conversation we had last was the most impacting to him, in that we engaged him rather than have a combative um, um, situation um, with him. And so that for me was a huge lesson. The other one with my husband, I woke up one day, he wasn't at home. So I was wondering, no, he left actually, he said to me, I'm going to CVS. From my house to CVS takes max 10 minutes. Going to pick up a drug for the son, I'll be back. I said, okay, see you. So he left the house at about 10. 11, I didn't hear from him. 11.30, I didn't hear. 12, I didn't hear anything. 1 p.m., I didn't hear anything. I started calling his phone. I called and called, he didn't pick up. Where did this guy go to? I kept calling. At about 2.15 or something like that, I finally decided, okay, let me go look for this guy. I mean, he wasn't as dressed. He was just, he just quickly changed his pages. Let me run down to CBS and back. And so I, kept, I started driving out to go see him, to go look for him. So I said, I'm gonna go through CVS, come back. I just, I just said to myself, did he go to church to fix something or something? So I told my son, the others were not home. If your dad comes home, please give me a call. Let me know that he's home. So I left driving around. And finally, when we call, the boy called me just on my way getting to the church that uh, my husband was back. So I said, give your dad the phone. Hey, honey, where have you been? You've, you said we're going to CVS. I said, I would expect that if you change your route from CVS and you are going somewhere, changing to go somewhere, at least call me, let me know I'm going to this area. He went off on the phone. So what do you want me to do? I mean, ordinarily, I wanted to get back and just kept screaming at him. I held back. So I got home, I saw him. And I said, I'm so glad you're back. The most important thing to me is that you're alive. Um, I was just concerned. He couldn't sleep all through that night. Maybe at about 3.34, when I went to the restroom, he stopped me. He said, Tusi, I'm really very sorry um, that I just yelled at you. He said, what really blessed me is that you didn't yell back at me. He said, I was waiting for you to yell back at me, so that way I would also let out my own steam and everything is over. <laughs> um, so I just laughed. So for me, that was an example of an everyday today, just handling all those little um, stuff. And that does not mean after then I did not go off. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just giving an example. I do go off. I mean, I... I, I <laughs> Amen.
Amen. So, so I mean, do you, are you going to say something, Joseph? Did you have something, Joseph? No, Kenny, you have something? Okay, yeah. And so, so really, we are learning and we are growing. But from, from what I know and from what I'm hearing, the more we trust God with these situations, the better the outcome. Always. Always. And remember this. The wherewithal to do the God thing is in you. It's in you. You just have to yield your members as instruments of righteousness. And you're going to see that manifestation. Okay. Kenny. Praise God. Amen. Uh, my wife is a very meticulous uh, person. Uh, she wants everywhere to be very neat. She's particular about the, the, the floor. Is it well swept? Is it okay? The placement of things. And uh, I knew her for that. And sometimes I'm always feeling, ah, why is this woman like this? So recently something happened when we got to the U.S. And she went out and uh, she came back. I was somewhere ahead. When she came back, she met the whole room in summer. Untidy. And she called me on the phone. She was talking about the toilet. She's talking about the, the rooms and everything. And the way she was talking, to her, I feel like I should yell back and have on her that I knew you were coming. I already made preparation because I knew her. So I did what I could do. And yes, she's still fine for in what I did. And now telling me you didn't do this, you have to have done this and that. I feel like I should yell back at her. But I kept my peace. I kept calm. I let her talk. And later on, I said, okay, okay, okay. And the next day, she now said, I'm sorry for yesterday. Because I didn't yell back. I feel I cool up. But I just took it in. Because I've already told my people, I said, I know my wife. She comes, she might tell me. And they were all laughing when she was even saying all that. Because I've already told her, I, said, I knew her. And then this is what she wants. And I've tried my best to do that. So what I, I just found out that in relationship, we need to keep developing this fruit. And we grow in it. When we begin to understand our spouse, it will go a long way in helping our relationship with one another. Amen. So we don't become casualties. Yes. Of statistics. Yes. Amen. Okay. No, nobody else? Nobody else? Okay. Oh, yeah. Prof. Yeah, there's a mic there. I will just be very brief. Uh, <clears throat> when we married with my wife, we had um, a statement that third person must not hear of any crisis between us. Anything that happens between us is the two of us. When we had our first baby, um, there was a quarrel. I went to, to work. Before I came back, my wife has left home to our mother, that's in Nigeria, from UI to Ilorin. My, my, my mother-in-law was in Ilorin, University of Ilorin. I got home around 2 o'clock, so I took my car, I went to Ilorin. 
I had the mind that, yes, my wife had gone to Ilori to tell exactly what happened, you know, the conflict. On getting to Ilori, that was around 6 p.m., my mother-in-law saw me afar off. Hey, Olanike, and you said that you just brought your little baby to come and greet me. He is just here. Just come out. So as I went in, my thinking is that it was all over because she has broken, you know, Your commitment. our commitment. She didn't tell her mother anything. And when I got there, my mother-in-law said, by tomorrow, first thing tomorrow, in fact, I don't want to ask you to go back this evening. By tomorrow, because what really happened? Your wife didn't tell me anything. You don't want to say anything. Pack your things and go back. So the following day, one morning, we went back. Honestly, since that time, I respect my wife. And my mother stayed with us for over 15 years, especially when we were nursing our children. She never settled any case with us. I, I, I believe that um, that's a critical commitment you know, that um, both of us, we kept. I just want to share that. Amen. Now, you raised a very, you open a kind of worms there that, will, that I now need to table. And that is, at what point in a marital relationship does one spouse who is being abused or being aggrieved seek counsel because in by our makeup all of us are like Adam in, to some degree we've been well trained in the business of fig leaves fig leaves ministry remember that old software where we don't want anybody else, anybody else to know. And so I stayed there, take the abuse, take the whatever it is that's, come, that's happening in the relationship, and as we very well know, especially in this country, the spouse dies, something happens because the man or the woman has been abusing one another for years. So where's the line? Where do you draw the line? I understand what he said. And I think what he, says, what he said has some credence. But what I'm saying is, where do you draw that line? Yes, Pastor Larry. I, I kind of understand, you know, don't let anybody know about in your relationships. But to me, I really don't believe in that thing that much. Because sometimes we have, uh, we have a tendency to overprotect a lot of things that are going on, just like you said. And it, people who have counsel who want to get married, one of the things I tell you is that you must have a mentor. Because things are going to happen that you don't even understand how to handle them sometimes. And both of you don't know how to handle it. You know, and it can go from one thing to the other. I'm not saying when something uh, simple as in, you know, some kind of minor disagreement happens, you just run out. But there are things that are going to happen that you need people that you have to be accountable to. And you need those kind of relationships where you're accountable to people or people who can speak to your life and all those, those kind of things. So that when issues happen, that you don't understand or you cannot uh, handle, 
then there are people you can speak to. There are people who can speak to your life. There are people who can uh, 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 talk to you. And in the area of abuse, once somebody gets abused once, there's every likelihood that the abuse is going to keep going. So the very first time an abuse situation happens is the time to seek help. If you don't get help at that time, there's every likelihood that that is going to continue. And I hope I made sense. Sure, you made sense. You made sense. Yeah, okay. Pardon me? Okay, good. All right, let me bring back to the mic. Hold, I mean, you'll speak in a minute. When you said abuse, can you define abuse? So, so, so my wife did not cook a nice meal. I feel abused because I've gone to work and I came home, I didn't eat. Well, no, 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 these are not abuse. Okay. These are, these are not abuse. Okay. You know, when you talk of abuse, you talk about, you know, you, it can be physical abuse, it can be mental abuse, it can be emotional abuse. Yeah, it can be emotional abuse, it can be mental, it can be physical. It... Okay, verbal abuse, okay, I'll add that, but... <laughs> All right, so, for instance, um, name-calling, so to say, where you put people down. I'll give you an example. Uh, my son has this friend. My, my younger son has this friend. And they're very close. But the guy has a tendency to put him down every time. And he came to me and he told me, and I told him, look, go to him, talk to your friend, tell him, you know, this is what you're doing and I don't like it. You know, let him know how you feel. And the guy will not stop and I told him, draw a boundary. There has to be a boundary. You cannot just keep going to the same guy that, uh, that you know, abuses. And if he does not go to the boy, the boy is begging him, come to my house, let us play, let us do, you know, all those kinds of things. And I cut it out. Because this is going to continue since the guy is not listening to you. So in the case, in the situation of, you know, a husband and a wife, beating, there's no room for beating. You cannot hit your wife for any reason. There's no reason for doing that. That's, a, that's physical abuse. Is that an American thing or an African thing? Which way is it? Whichever way. My father, the I just, very I just want to make sure. I'm, I'm okay. just asking. For this. It's, yeah. it's which, I mean, it, uh, there's no boundary for that. Okay. All right? My father beat my mother from the beginning until I, took, I had to tell my mother to leave at the end of the day. What is ah? What is ah? My father beat my mother and she was admitted into the hospital. He beat her until my mother was 50 or 60 something years old. At the time, 60 something years old. And he's been beating her since I was, uh, since I was, I was, I was a kid. Yeah. And you're saying ah? No, I didn't say how. No, no, somebody said. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought somebody was saying this. I told her, I have to tell her, <laughs> leave, leave, leave the man or you are going to die. That's true. Yeah. My, he beat her, I mean, he beat her that time. He beat her, I mean, she was 60-something years old when he beat her up. He beat her up, they rushed her to the hospital. And I told her, you cannot stay in this place. You cannot keep staying. Now, your argument at the beginning, you know, when, when we were younger, was, oh, my children, my children. Okay, now you don't have any child. There, what are you waiting for? Are you going to be there until this man, you know, takes your life or something? It's terrible. Yeah. And... And I told her, if, if you had left at the beginning when this man started beating you or you have taken your stand, this will not continue. So he beat, I'm 50 years old. All right? And this thing I'm telling you now is maybe about 10, 12, 15 years down, you know, back. That's what I'm saying now. And he's been beating her before I was born. Wow. Amen. So what I'm saying is, 
once that thing is there, you cannot beat it's whether you are African or you are Ethiopian, it doesn't matter <laughs> what the thing is. Once, <laughs> once the abuse is there, you have to draw a boundary. There's you know, there's a level of boundary that you have to draw. Once it's physical, it is mental or emotional or whatever it is the thing is, seek for help. Don't hide under the cover, you know. We don't want to talk to I mean, we don't want somebody else to know about what is going on. Somebody has to know, and if it doesn't stop. Then you draw a boundary. It's either you live, something has to happen. Something must give before you lose your life. Amen. I'm sorry. Thank, no, 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 be sorry. No, no, be sorry. This is family. I appreciate your sharing. Thanks for that transparency. I really do appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. I appreciate the fact that that contribution is very, very important. Ngozi will take you, or let Pastor Mike, once Pastor Mike is spoken, then Ngozi, you can, you can, yes. And so, Prof, I just want to make sure what you're saying is not wrong. We are not saying that. There's, there's no, there should not be. Yes, exactly. I just want to make sure that we, we understand here. It's not, this is not a law or a. Listen, you are the one that knows what is biting you. We cannot sit in this room and define for you bite. A mosquito bite is different from a snake bite. So the issue is, what is your tolerance level? Because we don't want you to go mad. We just wake up one morning, you are eating uh, pepper. I said, what happened to you? Oh, I just got mad. No, we don't want that to happen to anybody. No, seriously, no. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't manage this as well, because everybody has a breaking point. Yeah. So I understand what Prof is saying, but I definitely also understand what uh, uh, just share with us, you know, because I mean, as a child, I can imagine to watch your mother go through a thing like that. You wish you had more power in order to, to change something or protect her in that situation. Yeah, and folks, we have a responsibility as men and women of God, we need to teach the truth and help these men or women because it's not just one will, even here in the United States. I, I, you know, I, we were challenged with a situation where the wife told me, no, the husband told me on the way driving to church, the wife was slapping him all the way as he was, as he was driving. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. The guy stops at the stop sign. Bah! You stupid boy. I will teach you a lesson. You're going to church. Yeah. Bah! <laughs> African man. Okay, all right. African man. But we live in the United States. So the woman understood that the power of the court is on her side. So it's both ways. We need to instruct and let people know, listen, there are boundaries. There are certain things you should not be even doing. Yeah, Pastor Mike. 